Section thirty six of Mrs. Diamond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ruhi Huck. Mrs. Diamond by Anne Isabella Thackeray Ritchie. Book two, chapter two the black shadows like as the waves make towards the pebbled shore so do our minutes hasten to their end each changing place with that which goes before as disaster thickened and closed in mrs marney's letters became more scarce she was still alone with madame whose chief anxiety was for max little as he deserved it all those friends of his were drolls and he should tell them so said the old lady who seemed to think that this was the way to settle matters at once then came the news of the siege of paris max was there shut up with the rest of them but mrs marney wrote in happy excitement for that same post had brought a letter from her husband he was safe at headquarters and day by day the readers of the daily velocipede might trace his brilliant career emperors princes marshals diplomats marney seemed to be the centre and the leading figure of them all it was not till january was nearly over that the confirmation of the surrender of paris reached tarndale this news was followed by rumours of every sort and finally by a long rambling letter from mrs marney full of many laments she had seen but little of marney who had been at chalons and Metz most of the time and who was returning to paris now that the siege was being raised did susy know that poor max had been wounded at champigny they had had a letter by a balloon from mademoiselle fayard who had seen him in the wallace ambulance madame du pare was also determined to nurse her son and planned returning to the house at neuilly which she heard was safe and scarcely injured do not be surprised if you see me after all wrote mrs marney i cannot stop here alone with all i love so far distant from me ah susy i should have done better to come to you as you wished but with my husband in danger how could i leave the country susy was full of alarm at the thought of her mother's dangerous journey through such a country at such a time she wrote at once to newly and to avignon imploring mrs marney to wait until things were more settled promising to meet her later in paris if need be to her letters she received no answer and a week passed full of anxiety jo was at cambridge she had no one but mr bolsover to consult she might as well have talked to a looking-glass as to the sympathizing little man who invariably reflected her own expression of face one day susy thought of telegraphing to newly to ask if her mother had arrived the answer came sooner than susanna had dared to expect it early next morning before she was up madame du pare newly to mrs diamond crowbeck place tarndale your mother is here very ill pray come susy did not wait to consult mr bolsover again she wrote a line to mrs bolsover sent her little phrasie to the hall with the nurse and started at once by an early train to town and thus it happened that at three o'clock in the morning awakening out of a commonplace dream susy found herself on board a steamer nearing the shores of france and the stars shining through the glass in the roof of the cabin 
a lamp is swimming some of the passengers are preparing to land wrapping rugs and parcels together there are dull sounds and tramplings overhead and a couple of low voices are whispering to each other such things as people whispered in that disastrous year of eighteen seventy one when all voices were telling of changes and death and trouble and people gone away and families ruined and separated we shall be in directly says the first voice that of the stewardess but i don't think you will find one of them left as you expect ah those prussians says the second speaker in that whispering voice which people use in darkened places and at night and still the steamer paddles on susie's own thoughts are too anxiously travelling ahead for her to take so keen an interest as she might have done at any other time in this new and unexpected phase of life is her journey too late she wonders is her mother still alive still calling for her and wanting her susie is superstitious as anxious people are the two melancholy voices depress her and seem like an echo of evil things to come the look of her own hands lying listless in her black lap frightens her she starts up impatiently and begins to hope again as unreasonably as she had feared is everything changed is nothing changed can it be that she shall find it all as in old days when troubles were not nor wars to call men from their quiet toil to join the ranks of devastating armies presently they reach the french coast it is time to go up on deck with the rest of the passengers susie keeping to the protection of the other two women comes up on deck and sees the dark line of the quay lights go by ropes are hauled in and once more susanna hears the familiar french sing-song of the people exclaiming and calling to one another the voices sound melancholy but that may be her fancy or because it is a cock-crow sort of hour mrs diamond carrying her handbag walks along to the hotel in company with her fellow travellers she had come across by chance with a party of cook's tourists availing themselves of the escort of the great circumnavigator of our days whose placards and long experience seemed to guarantee the safety of his adventurous followers the only other ladies of the party were english women like susanna herself and also evidently travelling with a purpose one the friend of the stewardess an old bedizened creature belonged to the race of the wandering british spinster walked ahead still bemoaning herself as she went the other a handsome young woman of sober dress and appearance stopped short suddenly as she crossed the quay by mrs diamond's side look she said a german and with a thrill they recognize a brazen spike and the gleam of a helmet and the sentinel passes steadily up and down under a lamp-post in front of a garish-looking restaurant of which all the doors and windows are awake and flaring with gas and evidently expecting guests susanna for all her sad preoccupations stopped short with the rest of them and experienced a curious thrill seeing the first ripple of that brazen tide which had overspread the desolate country of france there the whole story seemed told as she watched the spike of the helmet and the big boots steadily pacing the pavement she wondered at the courage of the english girl who went straight up to the sentry and asked him in abruptest german how soon was he going back to berlin the helmet stopped and answered good-naturedly enough he didn't know and the king was at rheims they expected to leave in a day or two he was a big tawny young fellow with a handsome heavy face mademoiselle celestine 
the waitress at the hotel et restaurant des strangers pouring out her cafe au lait told the passengers that he and his companions were très gentils and they had done no harm they had good appetites but the mayor paid for all they ate she didn't believe the stories people told they were there with the general and his staff mademoiselle celestine would have gone on blessing her enemies at greater length but people from above from around from below from within from without began calling out gargon gargon bells rang violently cooks tourists shouted and britons demanded their suppers the house was so crowded so noisy and uncomfortable that susy and her two casual acquaintances after listening for some minutes to the landlady's glowing descriptions of blazing fires and velvet sofas at the railway station close by started boldly into the night to find this haven and to wait the six o'clock train there a few gas becks were flickering at the station where they found looking-glasses and velvet sofas according to promise in the first-class waiting-room a group of officers in white uniforms with many accoutrements were dozing away the time with their boots and swords extended upon the chairs and couches susy looked at them and instinctively left them to their slumbers and went into the second-class waiting-room with her companions and sank down into the first-come seat a lady and a little girl were already sitting upon the wooden bench beside her it was too dark to see their faces but not too dark to hear the lady's plaintive voice what a journey what nervous terrors what delays after six months in forced absence to return to a country in such a state no lamps no omnibus no trains to depart germans everywhere two tall jangling officers with great cloaks and boots came in from the next room look round and walk away ah shrieks the lady with fresh exclamations of alarm and i without a passport i could not get one where i was at whittington a little village in the eastern conte nor have i one for that child who only yesterday was studying her piano at a school for why should she lose her time because her country is being ravaged and so the poor lady talks on unheeded finally nodding off to sleep the time passed slow and strange and chill the dawn began to grow susy was sitting by a window looking on the platform a veil of early dew was upon everything and figures began to move like dreams across the vapour at last a train arrived with snorts and clamour about five o'clock conveying among other passengers some wounded prussians then for the first time susy forgetting her own preoccupation realized the horrors of war and as she looked again she saw that these were the victors these wounded wearied men scarce able to drag themselves along some were carried in their companions arms some sick and languid came leaning on their guns some again were loaded with spoil and bags one soldier passed the window carrying a drawing-room clock under his arm and a stuffed bag like an old clothesman's upon his back the wounded were to change carriages and went hobbling from one train to another among the rest came a poor prussian soldier pale wasted with one leg amputated slowly painfully dragging on a single crutch with another man to help him and in the crowded rush the crutch slipped and the soldier fell to the ground half fainting his companion tried in vain to raise him not one of the shadowy figures moved to his help susy with a cry of pity started up but the glass door was locked and she could not get out it was a frenchman at last who came forward and picked the poor fellow up 
helping to carry him with looks of aversion and deeds of kindness and then at last the way being clear the weary prussians having departed another train drew up in the early morning light and susy found herself travelling towards paris and her journey's end the light grew and with it came the thought of the coming day what would it bring to her of good or evil this much of good it must bring that she should be with her mother and du pare did she hope to see him she could not have answered or acknowledged even to herself what she hoped from her mother she hoped to hear something of max's doings and to get news of that one person in all the world who seemed most to exist for her she longed to see him to speak to him once more to get some certainty of his well-being to be reassured by one word one look she dreaded the meeting its inadequate explanation its heartbreaking disappointing silence the english girl opposite had taken off her hat and smoothed her long plaits of hair and now with a testament in her hand was reading her early horizon the morning grew the sun touched the white country they passed orchards in flower green spring shining upon every cottage and pleasant garden and spreading fields one little orchard remained fixed in susanna's mind pink with blossoms and in the midst upreared the figure of one prussian soldier in full uniform stretching his arms while the children of the household clustered about him and the rays of the rising sun flashed from his brass helmet as they travelled on stopping at the various stations more passengers got in all with the same miserable story sometimes piteous sometimes half laughable an old lady with frizzled curls described her home as she found it after eighty prussians and inhabited her house the linen the crockery the clocks all stolen and spoiled the flowers down trampled they even took my son's cigars which i had hidden in my wardrobe said the poor lady waxing more and more wroth and the monsters left a written paper in the box merci pour les bons cigars ah that emperor says the old lady to think that what he has brought to us with his flatteries and his vanity and his grand army another woman dressed in black sadder more quiet who seemed to be returning home utterly worn out now spoke for the first time one thing we must not forget she says we have had 20 years of peace and yet only one man in france has had the courage to adhere to the fallen emperor susie's heart failed her as they neared their journey's end for they came to a desolate country of broken bridges of closed houses of windows and palings smashed of furniture piled in sheds along the line and as they neared paris to a wide and devastated plain across which the snow was beginning to drift the plain spread dim and dreary sprinkled with ghosts of houses skeletons of walls that had once enclosed homes now riddled and charred with burnt beams and seams and cracks telling the same sad story reiterated again and again of glorious conquest and victory end of section 36